Well, good morning, church. As the kids make their thank you, Ian. As the kids make their way downstairs, we are going to be continuing in our Believe series, our summer series, where we are delving into doctrine. Um, this summer, we've been walking through the the ten core tenets, if you will, um, of the Christian faith, the ten core doctrines of the Christian faith. We've just got a few more weeks uh, to go. Can you believe school's starting already? Now, I know some of the kids that... <laughs> I, I, I hear you, Ricky. I hear you. Yeah, don't hold back, brother. Okay. Um, yeah, some of the kids are not as excited as you are, that's for sure. I saw some meltdowns uh, earlier um, today, and so they need some encouragement, and I'm I'm confident that Ellen and her crew downstairs will be able to take care of that. Um, but we are we're wrapping up, getting to toward the end of summer, and and just a few more of these core doctrines. Last week and this week um, are are really our focus has been what I'm going to call the lower doctrines. Okay, last week I had the privilege to preach on the doctrine of hell, and this week I have the privilege to preach on the doctrine of Satan. And to ignore either one would be to diminish the authority of Scripture. And so we don't want to be hyper-focused, if you will, on either of these lower doctrines. But we need to be aware of the reality of the enemy that we have. And so this morning we're going to be talking about what we believe about Satan. And let me ask you something uh, kind of right out of the gate here. Uh, do you believe the devil's real? I mean, I hear a lot of folks, you know, saying, yeah, yeah. That Lucifer lives and that he's an actual being, an entity that is the enemy of your soul. Do you believe that? Or do you believe that Satan is just a mythical figure and a figment of weaker men's imagination. A lot of people believe that. It's interesting. A recent survey done by the Barna Group reported that 50% of professing Christians do not believe that Satan is real. Uh, you know, the, the interesting part would be what is the criteria to put you in the category of being a professing Christian? And I, I don't know that exactly, but Barna is, is very meticulous with those studies. If that is accurate, that means that half of God's army doesn't even realize that we're on a battlefield. And we wonder why the world is as it is. And that's exactly where the enemy wants us to be, not realizing that we're on a battlefield. If he can blind us to the reality of his existence, we will never be a threat to him, and he can move us subtly further and further from the God who created us and the good that he has purpose for us. Do you hear me? C.S. Lewis put it this way. He said, the safest road to hell is the gradual one. It's the gentle slope. Soft underfoot, without any sudden turnings, without milestones that, hey, you're heading in that direction, without any signposts. It's the gradual slope. 
And that's Satan's most effective scheme. To simply encourage you to live your best life now. To deify yourself. To be your own God. Now we don't put it that way. We don't think that we're being our own God. But his primary tactic has remained the same since he whispered those very words to Eve in the Garden of Eden. You too can be like God. And mankind fell. Thus the mess we're in. Alistair Crowley. Anybody familiar with that name? A couple people? Admit it. He is considered the father of modern Satanism. He died in 1947. One of the evilest men to ever live is how he's consistently described. Um, But in a publication that he wrote before his death, he sums up the essence of Satanism with these few words. He says, do what you will shall be the whole of the law. Do what you will shall be the whole of the satanic law. It's the satanic great commandment, if you will. It's the antithesis of Jesus' great commandment in Jesus' words when he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Do what you will. So for Satan to have his way with you, You don't need to be sacrificing chickens and chanting incantations. You just need to be doing what you will and not what God wills for you to do. And the depth and degree of that temptation to do what we will and not what God's will is clearly seen in the Garden of Gethsemane. Do you remember when Jesus just falls to the ground on his road to the cross and he is literally sweating drops of blood as he has to choose his Father's will that he go to the cross over his own will. Not my will, but yours be done. And the great temptation. But it was that choice by Jesus that ultimately defeated Satan. And the same will be true for me and you. There's a tendency among believers to either ignore Satan entirely or to have an unhealthy focus on him and his activity. To believe he doesn't even exist or to see him behind every bush. C.S. Lewis put it this way. He said, there are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils, about Satan and his demons. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. You ever been around people like that? They themselves are equally pleased by either error. Let me ask you something this morning. Which way do you lean? 
Which way do you lean? Known in the Bible as Lucifer, as Satan, as the devil. Scripture tells us that he's a fallen angel, originally created by God as the most beautiful of all the angels. Speaking to him in Ezekiel, God says this. He says, your heart became proud on account of your beauty. And you corrupted your wisdom because of your splendor. And so I threw you to the earth. And in Revelation 12, in John's vision, there was a war in heaven. Michael and his archangels fought against the dragon. And the dragon and his angels fought back. That Satan... And the third of the angels that moved with him against God. But he was not strong enough, Satan, and they lost their place in heaven. The great dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent called the devil, or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth, and a third of God's angels with him which make up the force of Satan's demons on this earth. So what do we learn from those passages there? We learn that pride is the defining characteristic of Satan, thus the seed out of which all sins grow. Jesus called him the prince of this world, he called him the God of this age. The Apostle Paul called him an angel of light. And just prior to Jesus' arrest and ultimately his crucifixion, Jesus said this to his disciples. He said, I will not speak with you much longer. Jesus was going to be arrested, go to the cross, ultimately the grave, and then three days later rise again and ascend to the right hand of the Father. He said, I'm not going to speak with you much longer, for the prince of this world is coming. But Jesus said, he has no hold on me. Amen? Jesus clearly believed in Satan. And yet the studies show that 50% of Christians... Do not. It's fascinating. Jesus had multiple encounters with the devil. From his temptation at the beginning of his ministry, if you'll remember, in the wilderness, to his ultimate surrender in the garden where Satan was in the background of that temptation. You know, I don't understand it, and I'll be honest with you. I'm going to have plenty of questions for God when I get to heaven. But in God's infinite wisdom... He has allowed Satan to operate as the ruler of this world. Did you know that? That's what Jesus called him. The prince of the air. The ruler of this world. That's frightening. If we don't know where the story goes or where the story has already gone. I'll have a lot of questions for God about why. 
Why did your redemptive plan, why did it have to go this way? There are things that we don't understand this side of heaven. God's ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. But as we discussed last week, we can be absolutely sure that all of God's ways are right and just. And one day we'll see that clearly. But God has allowed Satan to operate as the ruler of this world But only, don't miss this, only within the boundaries that God has set for him. Okay? God is sovereign. Satan doesn't just have a run of the place without answering to our creator God. We see the sovereignty of God. We see the boundaries that God has set clearly as we read through the book of Job. It's one of the greatest mysteries of God's redemptive plan. The prince of this world, the God of this age, labels given to Satan to indicate that he has the greatest influence on the ideals, the opinions, the goals, the hopes, and the views of the people on this planet. His influence encompasses the world's philosophies. Systems of education, government, commerce, the thoughts, the ideas, and false religions of the world are under his control and were born out of his lies and his deceptions. And if we could somehow peel back the veil and see the level of influence that Satan has in this world we would never leave the shadow of the cross. As the Apostle Paul reminded the Ephesians, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood. And all these things that are just chipping away at us, Paul says, that struggle is not against other people. It's not against flesh and blood, but it is against the rulers, against the authorities, Satan, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Do you believe that? Do you keep that in the forefront of your minds, in the conflicts that you encounter on a regular basis, whether that's at home or, or at work or, or in other relationships? Our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It is against an enemy who is scheming to separate us from the God who created us and separate us from the plan for good he has for us. There's an unseen war being waged for your heart and for my heart and for my mind and your mind, for the hearts and the minds of our children by an enemy whose only goal is to separate them from God and all things good. That is why he lives. That is why he exists. He only has one purpose. He's not distracted by other things. Most people don't believe that. And they don't believe it primarily because, as the Apostle Paul said, Satan masquerades as an angel of light. 
Hollywood's done a great job of painting a picture of Satan that I believe throws us off his trail. But seldom do Satan and his demons manifest as the horror movies would depict. The scaredest I've ever been in my life was watching The Exorcist in a friend's dark basement when I was 14 years old. That whole head spinning, pea soup spitting, levitating thing horrified me. I mean, I I couldn't sleep for, for months. But honestly, in the last 40 years, the last 25 of them in ministry, I've never seen anything remotely like that in real life. Now, it happens, don't get me wrong, you know. The scariest aspect of Satan is the fact that he is almost always incognito. Unless you're tuned in to discern his schemes, you will be led subtly and progressively away from God and never even realize it. There's a great theologian... Mick Jagger put it. (laughs) Please allow me to introduce myself. I'm a man of what? Wealth and taste. I've been around for a long, long year. Stole many a man's soul and faith. Pleased to meet you. Hope you guess my name. But what's puzzling you, Mick said is the nature of my game. Fascinating song. If you read through the lyrics of the Rolling Stones' Sympathy for the Devil, I mean, there is, there truly is accurate theology there. Well, the nature of his game is to, as Beth said earlier, is to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and have it to the full. Satan comes to oppose that. He hates God. He hates everything good that comes from God. His chief desire is to separate you from the love and the presence of God for all eternity and to join him in his ultimate fate. But he comes as a man of wealth and taste. He comes as a woman of beauty and class. He comes as the opportunity of a lifetime. He comes with more money, more status, more power. He comes as an angel of light. That's the nature of his game. Where do you need to look a little bit deeper today? Where do you need to look a little bit deeper in your own life to make sure that you're not chasing a shiny lure of the enemy? It's subtle, so subtle. The tools of his trade are temptation, deception, accusation. Satan tempted Eve in the garden. He tempted Job. He tempted Jesus. And he'll tempt you too. He'll twist the truth. He'll put things in front of you at vulnerable times and manipulate your thinking to justify your behavior. 
You ever catch that going on in your own life? Man, I do. He's behind that. Now, I'm no Geraldine, mind you. Anybody get that reference? Okay. Some of you don't know who Flip Wilson is. The devil made me do it. We've got to take responsibility for our own actions. But the enemy is consistently manipulating and moving, using temptation, deception, and accusation to pull us away from Christ. Where is he tempting you right now? And if you just hide replaining through life, you'll never know it. That's why pausing, spending time with the Lord, unplugging, getting off social media, turning the TV off, being in a quiet place of light exposes him. We've got to do that in our walk with Jesus or he will lead us down a path without us even realizing it's going on. Where is he tempting you right now? He's subtle. And as Peter put it, your enemy, the devil, is seeking whom he may devour. And he devours us not only through temptation, but through deception. Jesus said this. He said, speaking of Satan, he was a murderer from the beginning. Not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Well, just tell us how you really feel about him, Jesus. Does it get any clearer than that? He will deceive you in every conceivable way to move you further from God. What lie is he whispering to you right now? He marriage it in what it used to be. Maybe it's time to consider other options. Now, you can't really afford that. Man, you deserve it. Church is a waste of time. There are a lot better things I could be doing with my Sunday morning. Deception. He's the master of it. And then there's accusation. That voice inside your head that continues to play. I'm no good. I don't measure up. I'm fat. I'm ugly. I don't have what it takes like everybody else does. And we all have those messages swirling around in our heads. And that's the enemy. That is the enemy. As a child of God, that is the enemy lying to you about who you are and your true identity. And if we don't take those lies captive, as Paul said, to the obedience of Jesus Christ, they will become our reality. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? 
Satan is a master of whispering something in your ear and then stepping away and watching you run with it. What's he accusing you of today in this season in your life that Jesus has set you free from? Paul told the Romans, there is therefore now no what? Condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And the enemy will just hurl condemnation and accusation your way constantly to try to remove you from the righteousness of Christ in your own mind. But he can never do that. He doesn't have that power. His ultimate goal is to separate you from God and everything good that comes from God. It's his only agenda, but he is operating on borrowed time. Amen? Because of the cross, because of the empty tomb, Satan is a defeated foe and his fate is sealed I love the way Paul put it to the Colossians. He says, when you were dead in your sins and in your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ by faith in Christ. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, that's Satan and his schemes and his demons, he made a public spectacle of them triumphing over them at the cross. Revelation 12, John says, Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of His Christ. For the accuser of our brothers who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. In Christ, you have the authority over every scheme of the enemy. But you've got to exercise that authority or he will eat your lunch. And one of the best ways to exercise that authority, one of the best ways you can begin to do that today is to fundamentally change the way you are approaching your life. It's not about you. My life is not about me. When we change fundamentally our approach to life, we realize that it's all about Him. We realize that it's not our will, but it's His will in our lives that is to be done. I close with these words of James. James says, submit yourselves then to God. What does that mean? And that means humble yourself before God. Surrender yourself to God. By faith, trust in what Christ has accomplished for you at the cross. Trust in the life that He has provided for you in the resurrection. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil, and what? He'll flee from you. That is our weapon against the prince of this world. Let's bow our heads. Father, thank you.
that you are sovereign. Thank you, Lord, that the challenges that we face this side of heaven, Lord, will one day come to an end. You have already defeated the devil. You've already defeated Satan. Lord, and one day he will be cast into the place that you have prepared for him and his angels. And Lord, those who have walked with you by faith, those who have sought to do your will and not their own, will spend an eternity with you. Lord, we thank you for that. And until then, Father, we pray that you would just enable us to put on your armor. You would equip us with your word. You would equip us with brothers and sisters in Christ to come alongside us and encourage us in this journey, in this mop-up effort, if you will, while Satan is still nipping at our heels. We thank you, though, Father, that Christ has crushed his head and that the resurrection has overcome sin and death and that you, Lord Jesus, give us life. We pray that prayer in your name. Amen.